All right. Uh, hey, during this Lenten season, we're actually in the sermon series called I Am, and it's the I Am statements of Jesus. Now, what's so remarkable about Jesus, and this is what we believe as Christians, especially in the Lenten season, what we believe is Jesus was an actual person who actually lived, and he, he moves along his life, and he does many great works. He teaches great teachings, but he also dies and resurrects from the grave, which is really the celebration of Easter. Now, as we're moving towards Easter, what we thought we would do is look at the actual words that Jesus would say about himself, not what pastors would say about him and not what perhaps what kind of uh, U.S. Christianity might look like, but instead, what does Jesus have to say about himself? So if you're someone who's interested in faith, maybe you're someone who doesn't have a faith background at all, today's a great Sunday to be here because we're actually going to be investigating what does Jesus have to say about himself? Now, one of the things we talk about is when he uses these statements, I am, he does this time and time again in the Gospel of John. And uh, the Gospel of John is a historical account of the person of Jesus, and he constantly says, I am. Now, that statement, I am, is a statement that God actually uses about himself in the Old Testament before Moses and the burning bush, when Moses says, who should I say you are that has sent me? You know, He says, just tell him I am has sent you. And so in many ways, whenever that word I am is used as a designation of God, and when Jesus begins to use it time and time again, what he's basically doing is he's tying himself. Jesus is tying himself to the divine God. And when he uses these statements, he's saying, listen, I am this person. Now, last week we talked about how he says, I am the bread of life. Today, look at kind of the metaphor that he uses. He says, I am the light of the world. This is what it says in John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, you don't even have to have a religious background to know that when light and darkness are juxtaposed, it has this metaphor that's trying to be spoken to. Now, here's the thing. Jesus and the Gospel of John would regularly mention light and darkness. Check this out. Look what it says in the Gospel of John throughout. Uh, John, from the very beginning, John chapter 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. No one said that with me. That's okay. <laughs> the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. There's that word again. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done uh, has been done in the sight of God. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. John chapter 12, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So time and time again, light and darkness is used. Just as Jesus is the bread of life, now he's starting to say, I am the light of the world. Now, what does that mean to be the light of the world? You see, later on, John, would actually write to a number of different churches. And in the letter called 1 John, look again, the metaphor of light and darkness is brought about. And look at what it says. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. There's no surprise there. One of the reasons why people believe that the, the author of these letters in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John is the same as the apostle John who wrote uh, the gospel of John is because so many of the metaphors are similar. So here he is. He basically says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out in the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There it is again. He's talking about light and darkness. Now notice how the light is tied to being in truth. 
and how darkness is tied to being living or living a lie or being in a lie. In other words, what is light and darkness? And what is the metaphor that John is trying to tease out about when Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world? Well, it's essentially this. What he's saying is when he says, I am the light of the world, light and darkness is basically equivalent to reality and unreality. What Jesus has come to do then is to just basically shed light on what is reality. I mean, has this ever happened to you where you're just pitch black room? You've never been in there before, right? And all of a sudden, the light goes on, and all of a sudden, everything is revealed. What really is there is revealed. You know, the dimensions. You can even see some of the dust on it, right? You can see things when the light is on. But when it's complete darkness, that's what it's like. I'm walking in unreality in this complete darkness. And when the light goes on, there's reality is all of a sudden has become defined. Uh, Now, what is this reality? When we're talking about, okay, well, what is the reality? What is the truth then? And what is this absolute truth that we believe in? Look at basically what uh, John writes about, what it means to walk in the light. He says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, isn't this interesting? Basically, what John is saying is this. If light and darkness is reality versus unreality, what it means to walk in the light is to actually claim that each one of us are sinners, Sinners, that every single one of us is not perfect, that every single one of us falls short in some sort of way. In other words, what reality is, is reality is that we are all sinners. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a sinner. (laughs) Turn to your other neighbor and say, you are too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, here's what I know. Like some of you are like that, that religious kind of judgmentalism. It's just jumping off the page in the mic right now when you use this word sinner. I can't believe you're you're, you're so judgmental. Well, here's here's why I I don't believe this is a judgmental statement. It's because, don't you see, like this is an equal opportunity statement here. You are a sinner and I am a sinner too. All of us are sinners. It's not like some of us are better than others. It's no. Every single one of us are sinners. And notice what what John writes. He says, if we claim to be without sin, that means we're walking in darkness. If if we somehow claim that we're not sinners. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are still kind of chafing at this. You're like, listen, do you realize where I went to school? How smart smart I am? what, what, What my parents say about me to kind of inflate my own ego? And don't you realize that I'm in New York, the greatest city in the world, and I'm making it and I'm crushing it in whatever industry I'm in, right? There's all sorts of ways that as New Yorkers, we can get a little bit puffed up and think, ah, well, I'm, not, I'm actually not that bad or as bad as that person or as bad as those people in Boston, right? Like, I mean, this is what we do, right? We, we tend to kind of begin to compare ourselves to other people, anything to somehow run away from the reality that we are all sinners, Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from, what background you come from. There's actually a book called The Spirituality of Imperfection. And it's not even necessarily a Christian book. It's actually a book that takes from the different religious, spiritual traditions of the world and talks about the freedom and the power that's found in being willing to admit that I am imperfect. 
Now, isn't that interesting that the pathway towards healing, the pathway towards freedom is actually the pathway whereby which we can all admit that we are sinners. This is not a judgmental statement. This is actually a liberating statement. Uh, I'll give you this example. I was actually in a group full of pastors this past week, and we were talking about how um, oftentimes what we believe and how we behave can be very different. (laughs) And one of the examples that I gave from my own life is, I don't know, there's like some cosmic reality to this. It just so happens that the biggest arguments that I can get into with my wife and our family comes on Sunday mornings, like right before I'm about to preach. Right, there's just some cosmic rule to this. Somehow, right? Like I'm supposed to be preaching on forgiveness in the morning, and but my wife is just so wrong (laughs) on Sunday mornings. You know what I mean? And it's just like ah, right? So like we'll get out of this argument, and then all of a sudden here I am on Sunday. I'm like, hey everyone, we're preaching today on forgiveness and like the spiritual truth and how God is all. And so I was, I was sharing this as kind of an example with these other pastors. And then as I'm sharing this, like there's a part of me that starts to feel a little bit of embarrassment because I, I was actually the facilitator of the group. So I'm facilitating this group and I'm admitting like, guys, you know, I make this, you know, sometimes I'm preaching on forgiveness and I can't forgive my wife and the more we get into these arguments. And then I add this statement. I go, but you know what? It happens a lot less now than it does like years ago. And then I kept talking or whatever. And then there was just this sense that I had just lied my face off, you know? (laughs) And so here I am, right? And I'm basically trying to promote this open, honest conversation about how we're honest about, like, our imperfection. And here I was, due to, like, my own sense of self-worth and wanting to be self-protective, I had to add that modifier when the reality is, come on, Like, I still get into these arguments with my wife, and it's not like I counted years ago, and now I'm counting, and it's somehow been less. The reality is it happens still regularly. But I had to add that modifier just so that people would actually still respect me as the facilitator of this group, as a a fellow peer in vocational ministry who is growing as a a God-fearing Christian person leader. You know, like, it was so funny. So in the moment that, like, that came to my awareness, I actually had to be like, hey, guys, actually, uh, I'm sorry. I just, I was trying to tell you that, you know, we fight less, but the reality is I don't know that. Um, the reality is, is I am a sinner. <laughs> reality is, I still make mistakes. Reality is, there's still this divide that occurs within me when it comes to what I believe and how I behave, and I wish it weren't the case. And even right there, even in sharing with you, I, I wanted to protect myself and my own sense of ego. I mean, isn't it interesting how that happens? How living in lies, which is basically not willing to admit that I am a sinner. Anyone who's married here or in a relationship and you realize like one of the things that's really taken your relationship downhill is when one person just can't admit that they're a sinner. Anyone here? You don't have to raise your hand, I realize. (laughs) Yes. But you know what I'm talking about, right? There's a certain humility that's bred when someone's willing to admit I am a sinner too. Like I make mistakes And I don't measure up to all the ways that I want to measure up, perhaps. And and walking in the light is basically being willing to confess. Like, listen, I am a sinner. 
Now, some of you still might be thinking like, I knew it. This religion stuff is all about judgment and being harsh and telling people that they're sinners. Well, you know what's interesting is that when Jesus talks about being the light of the world, he, he says it in John chapter 8, but look at what happens in John chapter 9. He actually says that very same statement again, but he does it in the context of a miracle that he's about to perform. Check this out, John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I just preached on this text a few weeks ago, but here's a man who's blind from birth. Now, this is unique in that there's another story where Jesus heals someone who had been blind, and when he's healed, he basically says, oh, those look like trees. The only way he would know that they look like trees is that he probably could see before but had a degenerative uh, eye disease of some sort. But this man, he's blind from birth. And that's an important point because anyone who was, who was born with an infirmity like that was seen as being cursed by God, right? Because why else would they be born with this? Like a little baby. Ever since he's a little baby, he can't even see. So there was this belief that the rabbis taught that the kid in the womb had, had sinned or the parents had sinned. And so that's why this question comes. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now, I love Jesus' response. It's so brilliant. He, respond, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Uh, but this happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. <laughs> basically, Jesus is basically saying, listen, the mystery of suffering and death and failure is too complex to explain to you all right now. But every moment of suffering and pain is an opportunity for good works to be done, for light to shine in the darkness. Every opportunity for pain. Instead of philosophizing about this, what if every moment of darkness could be an opportunity for good? And so Jesus basically says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I mean, I love this. Because he had just said that he's the light of the world. Now he says it again. And he says it again. And it's almost like, <laughs> Jesus, something's about to go down. Jesus is about to do something pretty extraordinary here. Because here's this blind man, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, notice what Jesus does. Check it out. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing now, here's what's so extraordinary. Have you ever wondered this? Like, Jesus could have healed people. Like, the way that he heals people is so inefficient. He gives, like, why, why go through all this stuff? Like, why is he spitting on the ground, rubbing mud on the eyes? Why, and why does he heal other people differently? Like, to streamline processes and to make him most kind of maximize his return and things like that, he should really just come up with one system, Jesus, right? Like, just snap your fingers, boom, it's done. Say the word, and it's done. All you strategy consultants out there, I've been learning from y'all, you know what I mean, right? But isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't do that? He actually, like, there's a unique way that he heals each person. Why is that? Perhaps it's because there's a customized way of dealing with people. Now, in the case of this man, notice, right? It's kind of gross, but he, he puts the mud on his eyes 
and he's now told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man has mud on his eyes, and he's kind of wandering around. Like, he's probably bumping into people he's never been able to see before. He's like, pool of Siloam, anyone? Pool of Siloam? And they're like, hey, just listen, this way. And maybe there was one kind soul that led him to the pool of Siloam. Why did he go into the pool? He goes into the pool of Siloam, and like, can you imagine, like, he's starting to, like, he starts to wash the mud off of his eyes. Like the first time that brilliant light begins to shine through. And the first thing he sees is his own reflection. First thing he sees is himself. It's almost like Jesus wanted to communicate to him. I want to show you the most beautiful thing you could ever see. The first thing that you would be able to see is yourself. And I, I think there's just something so marvelous about these miracles of Jesus, how customized they are to a person who's told he's a sinner at birth, he is cursed by God, and yet the first thing he's allowed to see when he wipes away the mud is himself. You know, what's interesting about this idea of Jesus being reality, that he sheds light into the darkness, is that both of these things are true. The, the truth is that we are all sinners, right? And if we claim to be without sin, we don't walk in the light. Both of these are true. We are all sinners. And yet at the same time, we are all beautiful and lovely and important and created in God's image and celebrated And what it means to walk in the light then, some of us today need to embrace the reality that we are all sinners. Some of us, perhaps you've walked in with a, a, like all sorts of pride for whatever reason. And today to embrace the reality, because again, this is what Jesus does. He brings reality. To embrace the reality that we're all sinners. And if we're all sinners, then that should humble us deeply. And yet there's this other truth that is equally true that we are all valuable and beautiful and meaningful and precious and made in God's image. And for some of us, perhaps the way that you've been living your life and treating yourself and treating others around you is if you are unworthy, if you are unlovable, if you are pushed aside as trash. And yet there's this truth that you are made in God's image both of these things can be true. And see, what Jesus has come to do, he's come to set us free, to bring us into the light, bring us into the truth. Now, some of you are like, well, I believe that truth is personal. It's really subjective. Well, here's what we believe as Christians. We believe there is an absolute truth. For truth to be absolute, it, it does not originate from a finite human being like me or like anyone else. For truth to be absolute, it must transcend human beings. It must transcend time, transcend geography. 
Now, by definition, what is the one thing that would transcend time, geography, and humans? It'd be a transcendent being, God. And this is what we believe as Christians, that there is an absolute truth. Now, here's what we believe as human beings, though. We believe that none of us have absolute knowledge. All of us are very limited in our perspective and understanding. This is where faith comes in. We have faith in an absolute truth. Now, faith is this belief that we want to orient our lives around. And what Jesus, when we basically say, Jesus wants to lead us into all truth, we want to embrace what is true from the divine, but we do it out of faith. And we do it when we believe this, when we trust that this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to start living in reality. He wants us to start living in reality so that we're able to confess that we're all sinners, so that we're able to say that each human being is beautiful and dignified because we're created in God's image. He wants to embrace all of this. And notice, Jesus saw this as his mission. Look at what he writes, or look at what it says in the Gospel of Luke when it talks about what Jesus says about himself when he starts to remark upon a prophecy that was written about him. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Now keep this in mind. Jesus is standing in front, and he's reading this prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is what the Christian message is. It's good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. It's freedom and liberation and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Then he dropped the mic, and he did a little dance. You know, like, I mean, I don't know what he did. I mean, gee, that was awkward. Sorry. That was, some of you felt like, that was really awkward, Drew. Like, what was that? Um, I mean, Jesus basically makes this statement, and he discloses why he has come. He's come to open the eyes of the blind. He's come so that you and I can now begin to see reality, so that you and I, whether the reality that we're all sinners and that we can come humbly and confess, like, listen, I make mistakes, and to find the freedom that's found in that, or whether you and I need to come and begin to look at ourselves in the mirror and to realize that we are beautiful and made in the image of God, he has come so that we can actually begin to see reality, to open the eyes of the blind. Now, here's the thing about Jesus because it's not only, see, light and darkness is not only reality and unreality. Did you notice? Look at all these other passages in the Gospel of John. Look at other metaphors that are used. For instance, in John chapter 3, it, light and darkness is not only truth and lies, but look, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. There's also evil and goodness, right? And this metaphor of light and darkness could be used all over the place. Now, here's what's interesting. If Jesus is the one who has come to bring light versus the darkness, reality versus unreality, he's also come to bring good into the world. But check out what Jesus says. See, it's not only Jesus who says about himself that he is the light of the world. 
Look at what he says in the Gospel of Matthew. He says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't just open our eyes so that you can make a lot of money and create generational wealth for your family in the future. Jesus doesn't open our eyes so that you can become famous on whatever social media channel or have a pristine LinkedIn profile. Like, Jesus doesn't open our eyes for these things. In fact, what he does is the light shines, invites us into reality, and his light shines so that you and I can become people who bear this same light in the world around us that we are a people who live as lamps and lights in a world that is about myself and consuming and doing what I need for myself. And yet what Jesus says is, no, 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 don't you understand? What I welcome you into is I've called you to be a light. That the way you use your words is a light in your workplace. The way you use your time and energy is a light for your neighbors and your classmates and your family. You are the light of the world. You know, one of the reasons why we're doing Compassion Sunday is for us to get out of ourselves at the end of the day. It's so easy to be so myopic about my own self, what I need, my own goals and ambitions, And for me and our family, one of the reasons why we chose to sponsor today is because we wanted to say we want to give our lives for the good of others. Because here's what Jesus is basically saying. He's basically saying, let your light shine, everyone. Just let it shine. Just let that light that I've called you to be, let it shine in the world around us. And one of the reasons why we decided to do this is for our family and our children is for us to start to say there's so many values and so many messages that we've received about what's important, but for our kids who are 10 and 6, we want to say, hey, there's another child who's in need where if we gave money, something very tangible, it could be a blessing to someone around the world and that we actually might receive that blessing too. There's another child who's also a sinner, just like you guys are, uh, and and me, Uh, (laughs) And yet, there's also a child who's also made in the image of God, all of us together. And we get to be part of this person's life by sponsoring a child. See, but it's not only sponsor a child. There's so many ways in which God has called us to be a light in the world around us. And this is the privilege that we have. Can you imagine how our church would change if each one of us took on this mantle of being a light, that whatever area we walked into, we said, I want to be a light in the hospital that I'm working in or in the office that I work in. Can you imagine how our city would be different? Could you imagine how our families would be different? Can you imagine how our world would be different? If we took on this call to be light in the world.